0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Napoleon of Notting Hill by G. K. Chesterton. Section 5, Book 2, Chapter 2. The Council of Provosts. The king got up early next morning, and came down three steps at a time like a schoolboy. Having eaten his breakfast hurriedly, but with an appetite, he summoned one of the highest officials of the palace, and presented him with a shilling. Go and buy me, he said, a shilling paint-box which you will get, unless the mists of time mislead me, in a shop at the corner of the second and dirtier street that leads out of Rochester Row. I HAVE ALREADY REQUESTED THE MASTER OF THE BUCKHOUNDS TO PROVIDE ME WITH THE CARDBOARD. IT SEEMS TO ME, I KNOW NOT WHY, THAT IT FELL WITHIN HIS DEPARTMENT. THE KING WAS HAPPY ALL THAT MORNING WITH HIS CARDBOARD AND HIS PAINT BOX. HE WAS ENGAGED IN DESIGNING THE UNIFORMS AND COATS OF ARMS FOR THE VARIOUS MUNICIPALITIES OF LONDON. THEY GAVE HIM DEEP AND NO INCONSIDERABLE THOUGHT. HE FELT THE RESPONSIBILITY i cannot think he said why people should think the names of places in the country more poetical than those in london shallow romanticists go away in trains and stop in places called hug me in the hole or bumps on the puddle and all the time they could if they liked go and live in a place with the dim divine name of st john's wood i have never been to st john's wood i dare not i should be afraid of the innumerable night of fir trees "'afraid to come upon a blood-red cup "'and the beatings of the wings of the eagle. "'But all these things can be imagined "'by remaining reverently in the harrow train.' "'And he thoughtfully retouched his design "'for the headdress of the halberdier of St. John's Wood, "'a design in black and red, "'compounded of a pine-tree and the plumage of an eagle. "'Then he turned to another card. "'Let us think of milder matters,' he said. "'Lavender Hill.' could any of your glebes and combs and all the rest of it produce so fragrant an idea? Think of a mountain of lavender lifting itself in purple poignancy into the silver skies, and filling men's nostrils with a new breath of life, a purple hill of incense. It is true that upon my few excursions of discovery on a halfpenny tram I failed to hit the precise spot, but it must be there. Some poet called it by its name, there is at least warrant enough for the solemn purple plumes following the botanical formation of lavender which i have required people to wear in the neighborhood of clapham junction it is so everywhere after all i have never been actually to southfields but i suppose the scheme of lemons and olives represent their austral instincts i have never visited parsons green or seen either the green or the parson but surely the pale green shovel hats i have designed must be more or less in the spirit. I must work in the dark, and let my instincts guide me. The great love I bear to my people will certainly save me from distressing their noble spirit, or violating their great traditions. As he was reflecting in this vein, the door was flung open, and an official announced Mr. Barker and Mr. Lambert. Mr. Barker and Mr. Lambert were not particularly surprised to find the king sitting on the floor amid a litter of water-colour sketches. They were not particularly surprised because the last time they had called on him they had found him sitting on the floor surrounded by a litter of children's bricks, and the time before surrounded by a litter of wholly unsuccessful attempts to make paper darts. But the trend of the royal infant's remarks uttered from amid this infantile chaos was not quite the same affair. For some time they let him babble on, conscious that his remarks meant nothing. And then a horrible thought began to steal over the mind of James Barker. He began to think that the king's remarks did not mean nothing. In God's name, Auburn, he suddenly volleyed out, startling the quiet hall. You don't mean that you're really going to have these city guards and city walls and things. I am indeed, said the infant in a quiet voice. Why shouldn't I have them? I have modeled them precisely on your political principles. Do you know what I have done, Barker? I have behaved like a true Barkerian. I have... But perhaps it won't interest you, the account of my Barkerian conduct. Oh, go on, go on, cried Barker. The account of my Barkerian conduct, said Auburn calmly, seems not only to interest you but to alarm you. Yet it is very simple. It merely consists... In choosing all the provost under the new scheme by the same principle by which you have caused the central despot to be appointed each provost of each city under my charter is to be appointed by rotation sleep therefore my barker a rosy sleep barker's wild eyes flare but in god's name don't you see quin that the thing is quite different in the center it doesn't matter so much just because the whole object of despotism is to get some sort of unity, but if any damned parish can go to any damned man, I see your difficulty, said King Auburn calmly. You feel that your talents may be neglected. Listen, and he rose with immense magnificence. I solemnly give to my liege subject James Barker, my special and splendid favour the right to override the obvious text of the charter of the cities and to be in his own right lord high provost of south kensington and now my dear james are you all right good day but began barker the audience is at an end provost said the king smiling how far his confidence was justified it would require a somewhat complicated description to explain the great proclamation of the charter of the free cities appeared in due course that morning and was posted by bill stickers all over the front of the palace, the king assisting them with animated directions and standing in the middle of the road with his head on one side, contemplating the result. It was also carried up and down the main thoroughfares by sandwich men, and the king was with difficulty restrained from going out in that capacity himself, being in fact found by the groom of the stole and Captain Bowler struggling between two boards. His excitement had positively to be quieted like that of a child. The reception, which the charter of the cities met at the hands of the public, may be mildly described as mixed. In one sense it was popular enough, In many happy homes that remarkable legal document was read aloud on winter evenings amid uproarious appreciation, when everything had been learnt by heart from that quaint but immortal old classic, Mr. W. W. Jacobs. But when it was discovered that the king had every intention of seriously requiring the provisions to be carried out, of insisting that the grotesque cities with their toxins and city guards should really come into existence, things were thrown into a far angrier confusion. Londoners had no particular objection to the king making a fool of himself, but they became indignant when it became evident he wished to make fools of them and protests began to come in. The Lord High Provost of the good and valiant city of West Kensington wrote a respectful letter to the king, explaining that upon state occasions it would of course be his duty to observe what formalities the king thought proper, but that it was really awkward for a decent householder not to be allowed to go out and put a postcard in a pillar-box without being escorted by five heralds, who announced with formal cries and blasts of a trumpet that the Lord High Provost desired to catch the post. The Lord High Provost of North Kensington, who was a prosperous draper, wrote a curt business note, like a man complaining of a railway company, stating that a definite inconvenience had been caused him by the presence of the halberdiers, whom he had to take with him everywhere. When attempting to catch an omnibus to the city, he had found that while room could have been found for himself the halberdiers had difficulty in getting into the vehicle believe him, theirs faithfully the lord high provost of the shepherd's bush said his wife did not like men hanging round the kitchen the king was always delighted to listen to these grievances delivering lenient and kingly answers but as he always insisted as the absolute psych went on that verbal complaints should be presented to him with the fullest pomp of trumpets plumes and halberds only a few resolute spirits were prepared to run the gauntlet of the little boys in the street among these however was prominent the abrupt and business-like gentleman who ruled north kensington as he had before long occasion to interview the king about a matter wider and even more urgent than the problem of the halberdiers and the omnibus this was the great question which then and for long afterwards brought a stir to the blood and a flush to the cheek of all the speculative builders and house agents, from Shepherd's Bush to the Marble Arch and from Westbourne Grove to High Street, Kensington, I refer to the great affair of the improvements in Notting Hill. The scheme was conducted chiefly by Mr. Buck, the abrupt North Kensington magnet, and by Mr. Wilson, the provost of Bayswater. A great thoroughfare was to be driven through three boroughs through West Kensington, North Kensington, and Notting Hill opening it at one end into Hammersmith Broadway, and the other into Westbourne Grove. The negotiations, buying, sellings, bullying, and bribing took ten years, and by the end of it Buck, who had conducted them almost single-handed, had proved himself a man of the strongest type of material energy and material diplomacy. And just as his splendid patience and more splendid impatience had finally brought him victory, when workmen were already demolishing houses and walls along the great line from hammersmith a sudden obstacle appeared that had neither been reckoned with nor dreamed of a small and strange obstacle which like a speck of grit in a great machine jarred the whole vast scheme and brought it to a standstill and mr buck the draper getting with great impatience into his robes of office and summoning with indescribable disgust his halberdiers hurried over to speak to the king. Ten years had not tired the king of his joke. There were still new faces to be seen looking out from the symbolic headgears he had designed, gazing at him from amid the pastoral ribbons of Shepherd's Bush, or from under the somber hoods of the Black Friars Road. And the interview which was promised him with the provost of North Kensington he anticipated with a particular pleasure, for he never really enjoyed, he said, the full richness Of the medieval garments unless the people compelled to wear them were very angry and businesslike mr buck was both at the king's command the door of the audience chamber was thrown open and a herald appeared in the purple colors of mr buck's commonwealth emblazoned with the great eagle which the king had attributed to north kensington in vague reminiscence of russia for he always insisted on regarding north kensington as some kind of semi-arctic neighborhood The herald announced that the provost of that city desired audience of the king. From north Kensington, said the king, rising graciously, what news does he bring from that land of high hills and fair women? He is welcome. The herald advanced into the room, and was immediately followed by twelve guards clad in purple, who were followed by an attendant bearing the banner of the eagle, who was followed by another attendant bearing the keys of the city upon his cushion who was followed by Mr. Buck in a great hurry. When the king saw his strong animal face and steady eyes, he knew that he was in the presence of a great man of business, and consciously braced himself. "'Well, well,' he said cheerily, coming down two or three steps from a diaz, and striking his hands lightly together. "'I am glad to see you. Never mind, never mind. Ceremony is not everything.' I don't understand your majesty said the provost stolidly never mind never mind said the king gaily a knowledge of courts is by no means an unmixed merit you will do it next time no doubt the man of business looked at him sulkily from under his black brows and said again without show of civility i don't follow you well well replied the king good-naturedly if you ask me, I don't mind telling you, not because I myself attach any importance to these forms in comparison with the honest heart, but it is usual, it is usual, that is all, for a man, when entering the presence of royalty, to lie down on his back on the floor, and elevating his feet towards heaven, as the source of royal power, to say three times, monarchical institutions improve the manners. But there, there, such pomp is far less and truly dignified than your simple kindness." the provost's face was red with anger and he maintained silence and now said the king lightly and with the exasperating air of a man softening a snub what delightful weather we are having you must find your official robes warm my lord i designed them for your own snow-bound land they are as hot as hell said buck briefly i came here on business right said the king nodding a great number of times with quite unmeaning solemnity right 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 business as the sad glad old persian said is business be punctual rise early point the pen to the shoulder point the pen to the shoulder for you know not whence you come nor why point the pen to the shoulder for you know not where you go nor where the provost pulled a number of papers from his pocket and savagely flapped them open your majesty may have heard he began sarcastically of hammersmith and a thing called a road we have been at work ten years buying property and getting compulsory powers and fixing compensation and squaring vested interests and now at the very end the thing is stopped by a fool old prout who was provost of notting hill was a business man and we dealt with him quite satisfactorily but he's dead and the cursed lot has fallen on a young man named wayne who's up to some game that's perfectly incomprehensible to me. We offer him a better price than any one ever dreamt of, but he won't let the road go through, and his counsel seems to be backing him up. It's Midsummer Madness. The king, who was rather inattentively engaged in drawing the provost's nose with his finger on the windowpane, heard the last two words. What a perfect phrase that is, he said, Midsummer Madness. THE CHIEF POINT IS, CONTINUED BUCK DOGGEDLY, THAT THE ONLY PART THAT IS REALLY IN QUESTION IS ONE DIRTY LITTLE STREET, PUMP STREET, A STREET WITH NOTHING IN IT BUT A PUBLIC HOUSE AND A PENNY TOY SHOP AND THAT SORT OF THING. ALL THE RESPECTABLE PEOPLE OF NOTTING HILL HAVE ACCEPTED OUR COMPENSATION, BUT THE INEFFABLE WAYNE STICKS OUT OVER PUMP STREET, SAYS HE'S PROVO OF NOTTING HILL. HE'S ONLY PROVO OF PUMP STREET. A GOOD THOUGHT, REPLIED Auberon. "'I like the idea of a provost of Pump Street. "'Why not let him alone?' "'And drop the whole scheme,' cried out Buck, "'with a burst of brutal spirit. "'I'll be damned if we do. "'No, I'm for sending in workmen to pull down without more ado.' "'Strike for the purple eagle,' cried the king, "'hot with historical associations. "'I'll tell you what it is,' said Buck, losing his temper altogether. "'If your majesty would spend less time "'in insulting respectable people with your silly coats of arms,' "'and more time over the business of the nation.' "'The king's brow wrinkled thoughtfully. "'The situation is not bad,' he said. The haughty burgher defying the king in his own palace. "'The burgher's head should be thrown back, "'and the right arm extended. "'The left arm may be lifted toward heaven's, "'but that I leave to your private religious sentiment. "'I have sunk back in this chair stricken with baffled fury. Uh, "'Now again, please?' "'Buck's mouth opened like a dog's, "'but before he could speak, another herald appeared at the door.' The Lord High Provost of Bayswater he said, desires an audience. admit him, said Alberon. This is a jolly day. The halberdiers of Bayswater wore a prevailing uniform of green, and the banner which was borne after them was emblazoned with a green bay wreath on a silver ground, which the King, in the course of his researches into a bottle of champagne, had discovered it to be the quaint old punning cognizance of the city of Bayswater. It is a fifth symbol, said the king, your immortal bay-wreath. Fulham may seek for wealth and Kensington for art, but when did the men of Bayswater care for anything but glory? Immediately behind the banner, and almost completely hidden by it, came the provost of the city, clad in splendid robes of green and silver with white fur, and crowned with bay. He was an anxious little man with red whiskers, originally the owner of a small sweetstuff shop. "'Our cousin of Bayswater,' said the king with delight, "'what can we get for you?' The king was heard also distinctly to mutter, "'Cold beef, cold damn, cold chicken,' his voice dying into silence. "'I came to see your majesty,' said the provost of Bayswater, whose name was Wilson, "'about that Pump Street affair.' "'I have just been explaining the situation to his majesty,' said Buck, curtly but recovering his civility. I am not sure, however, whether His Majesty knows how much the matter affects you also. It affects both of us, you see, Your Majesty, as this scheme has started for the benefit of the old neighbourhood. So, Mr. Buck and me, we put our heads together. The king clasped his hands. Perfect! he cried in ecstasy. Your heads together, I can see it. Can't you do it now? Oh, do it now! A smothered sound of amusement appeared to come from the halberdiers, but... Mr. Wilson looked merely bewildered, and Mr. Buck merely diabolical. I suppose he began bitterly, but the king stopped him with a gesture of listening. Hush, he said. I think I hear someone else coming. I seem to hear another herald, a herald whose boots creak. And as he spoke, another voice cried from the doorway. The Lord High Provost of South Kensington desires an audience the lord high provost of south kensington cried the king why that is my old friend james barker what does he want i wonder if the tender memories of friendship have not grown misty i fancy he wants something for himself probably money how are you james mr james barker whose guard was attired in splendid blue and whose blue banner bore three gold birds singing rushed in his blue and gold robes into the room Despite the absurdity of all the dresses, it was worth noticing that he carried his better than the rest. Though he loathed it as much as any of them, he was a gentleman, and a very handsome man, and could not help unconsciously wearing even his preposterous robe as it should be worn. He spoke quickly, but with the slight initial hesitation he always showed in addressing the king due to suppressing an impulse to address his old acquaintance in the old way. "'Your Majesty,' pray forgive my intrusion. It is about this man in Pump Street. I see you have Buck here, so you have probably heard that it is necessary. I. The king swept his eyes anxiously round the room, which now blazed with the trappings of three cities. "'There is one thing necessary,' he said. "'Yes, your majesty,' said Mr. Wilson of Bayswater, a little eager. "'What does your majesty think necessary?' "'A little yellow,' said the king firmly." SEND FOR THE provost OF WEST KENSINGTON. Amid some materialistic protest he was sent for, and arrived with his yellow halberdiers in his saffron robes, wiping his forehead with a handkerchief. After all, placed as he was, he had a good deal to say on the matter. "'Welcome, WEST KENSINGTON,' said the king. "'I have long wished to see you, touching that matter of the Hammersmith's land to the south of the Roten House. Will you hold it feudally from the provost of Hammersmith?' You have only to do him homage by putting his left arm in his overcoat, and then marching home in state.' "'No, no, your Majesty, I'd rather not,' said the provost of West Kensington, who was a pale young man with a fair moustache and whiskers, who kept the successful dairy. The king struck him hardly on the shoulder. "'Ah, the fierce old West Kensington blood,' he said, "'they are not wise who ask it to do homage.' Then he glanced again round the room it was full of a roaring sunset of colour and he enjoyed the sight possible to so few artists the sight of his own dreams moving and blazing before him in the foreground of the yellow west kensington liveries outlined itself against the dark blue draperies of the south kensington the crests of these again brightened suddenly into green as the almost woodland colours of bayswater rose behind them and over and behind all the great purple plumes of north kensington showed almost funereal and black there is something lacking said the king something lacking what can there it is there it is in the doorway had appeared a new figure a herald in flaming red he cried in a loud but unemotional voice the lord high provost of notting hill desires an audience end of chapter two book two